So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of the Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our psalm comes from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I have put my trust. O my soul, you have said unto the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. All my delight is upon the saints who are on the earth and upon those who excel in virtue. Those who run after another god shall have great trouble. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, neither make mention of their names with my lips. The Lord himself is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. You shall maintain my lot. The boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have goodly heritage. I will thank the Lord for giving my counsel. My heart also chastens me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand, therefore I shall not fall. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For you shall not leave my soul in the grave, neither shall you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You shall show me to the path of life. In the presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand there is pleasure forevermore. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. A New Testament reading is from Hebrews 10, 31 through 39. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The word of the Lord. The gospel lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 23. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. This is Jesus speaking. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house nor take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be again. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We are delighted this morning uh, that David Rucker is going to be bringing the word to us. You may be seated. David and Karen have been with us for several months, and David Rucker is also Reverend David Rucker. He is an Anglican priest in a different diocese from us. He's from the Diocese of Pittsburgh, where he was a pastor there for 18 years. And we are continuing in our sermon series in Genesis, and I'm thrilled that David is going to open God's word for us today. David. I run out of things to say, but that's not likely. I haven't preached since January, so I'm all stored up inside. You said 45 minutes, is that right, Jay? The, um, uh, Josiah, the um, music today is moving to me, and I, I'm kind of altering already what I was going to preach on because of it. You look at carefully at the bulletin, it says, that's a step-by-step step is a song. If 
by Rich Mullins, who was one of my heroes in the faith, I guess. And if you look carefully at the, at the credit, he credits that to his friend Beaker. That's a Rich Mullins tune, trust me. It's part of a larger song called Sometimes by Step. And I want to read a couple of the words from this song that Rich wrote. God, you are my God. Let's see here. Sometimes the night was beautiful. Sometimes the sky was so far away. Sometimes it seems to stoop so close you could touch it, but your heart would break. Sometimes the morning came too soon. Sometimes the day could be so hot. There was so much work left to do, but so much you had already done. God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will walk in your ways. And step by step, you will lead me, and I will follow you all my days. And then I want to go down just to... um, one more verse, just a, a part of it, because it's very relevant to what we're talking about here in uh, Jay's sermon series. Sometimes I think of Abraham, how one star he saw had been lit for me, for me, for rich, for you. He was a stranger in this land, and I am that no less than he. For on this road to righteousness, sometimes the climb can be so steep. I may falter in my step, but never be on your reach. Oh God, you are my God. I will ever praise you. The reason why that's uh, brought that up, because uh, that's a, um, I'm sitting there listening to you uh, saying that or, or offer that today, and I'm thinking, God, why do you speak so loud sometimes? Something was perfect. It's like you and I were on a saying, it's exactly what I'm planning to preach on today. And by the way, let me just say, Jake, thank you for the privilege. I don't take this lightly at all. Uh, Preaching the Word of God is um, the most serious and important thing a person can do in the whole world. And that's all of you. It's not just Jay and I that get to preach. Every single person who's a member of the body that Christ is called upon to testify to Jesus Christ in our walk, in our ways, in our... In our days, as Rich said, all of the ways are struggles, ups and downs. We preach daily, and how we preach matters. And that's what I'm talking about today. That's what my sermon's going to be about today, is how do we preach? How do we maybe teach? You know, you might, maybe you've taught Sunday school, and you might think, well, I'm a teacher, same thing. It doesn't matter if you're the preacher or the teacher. We are all in the body of Christ, responsible. How do I know this? Because there's a set of verses I want to kind of read, add to. The lectionary, Jay asked me what I wanted to, uh, I just realized, Karen, I need to, since I'm just now looking at the clock, I, my sermon's just now starting, okay? The, uh, uh, the uh, like, what time does that mean I got till? Okay, here, that means I got till, uh, oh, I got lots of time, I still got 18 minutes. The, um, um, the, I want to read something from 2 Corinthians. Excuse me. Jay asked me what I wanted to have for the uh, lecture, for the readings today. Did I, he said he'll choose them or, or I can choose them. And I said, no, I want to choose them if that's okay. But I'm, not, I'm almost certain I'm going to use just the lectionary. And indeed, all the readings today are from the lectionary. If we were following it, uh, not doing a sermon series, this would have been the readings assigned for today in the Anglican Church. And what I was betting on, and it was true, is that every one of those readings would be relevant 
for what I'm preaching on today, relevant for what we're studying in the book of Genesis. And indeed, every single one of those, I could preach any of them right now with respect to this Abrahamic story, and it'd be perfect. But I'm actually going to go to a separate set of verses right now to... uh, Jay won't let me come back up here if he sees me tearing this place up. But I want to go to 2 Corinthians real quick. And uh, this is uh, from chapter 6 of of 2 Corinthians. Paul is, you know, he's had to do a lot of tough work with the Corinthians. Um, Excuse me, this is from chapter 5. Fourteen, I believe. Yeah, fourteen. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this: that one has died for all; therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. First, we hear that. We no longer, we no longer, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one has died for all, and therefore all has died. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The sermon today is on about, you might not be aware of it yet, but it's about Genesis 13. And... I told Jay on Tuesday we got together and talked Tuesday. I wanted to make sure my sermon was going to dovetail in well with his, his uh, preaching arc. And uh, I described it as kind of an intermission almost. Abraham's story is huge. I mean, you want to study, uh, he is our spiritual forefather for a reason. This, you know, you got to remember time and place, or Jay has really, I love how Jay preaches, by the way, he he, his exegesis is tremendous. He puts us right in the middle of, of the context of the story that's being told when Jay preaches, and, and that's really important to me. Um, and I want to try to do the same thing a little bit. He's gone through genealogy, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Abram's the uh, 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 direct descendant of Shem, the uh, son of one of the three sons of Noah, and so forth. And that's, that's important because there's a holy line that's what Jesus is going to come from and so forth. Um, but this is, and he's got, yeah, he's got pulled up. His whole family gets pulled up and moved. And, and it's like, man, Abram's life is just one adventure after another. And trust me, you haven't seen anything yet. What's getting ready to come down the pike for Abram is going to test him in a way that few people could, could bear. But this little story today is, is so simple almost. They, you know, it, just to put it in context, the Lord brought him out of his home into this new land of Cana. They settled there. They built an altar. He worshiped God there. 
drought came, different reasons he fled to or, or ventured on into Egypt. And a funny thing happened to him on Egypt. God didn't call him to go there. He just went. He didn't call, he didn't trust the Lord God. And in Egypt, he winds up breaking faith. Sarah, his wife, becomes his sister, for example, and most obviously. Why? So that he will not run into trouble if someone tries to take favor with Sarah. And there's nowhere in, in, in the, in the, in the, doc, in the uh, Scripture that says that Abram worshipped God in Egypt. He was there, kind of getting in trouble. The Lord was with him at all times, but Abram's on his own right now. And finally, when he comes out of Egypt, back into the land that God had promised him, back into Canaan, Abram finally starts to worship the Lord again. Now, the reason why this is important is because that little bit of a story right there matters so much. Because what we're going to find out is, is that how we live is going to be the story we preach. How we live is your preaching story, your own preaching arc. And what we're going to find is, is that sometimes we live right in the middle of God's presence. And sometimes we ignore God's presence. And we're going to see that the results are very different for us, whether we are acknowledging his presence or we're ignoring his presence. But Abraham is a, is a witness of faith, of great faith. And he's our, he's our spiritual father for a reason on that. But make no mistake, make no mistake, he is a fallen man just like the rest of us, and Egypt proves this. But let's just, let's just sort of skip right through Egypt. That was... a. Uh, last sermon, and let's bring him now back into the Holy Land. And now he's back and he's building, a, uh, he's back to worshiping at, at, at the altar he created. And, um, and he does something remarkable, though it doesn't seem that remarkable. It seems very unremarkable, really, compared to all the rest of the adventures he's taking. He and he's, he's accumulated tremendous wealth. His nephew, Lot, has, has accumulated tremendous wealth, and they can't get along. Not Abram and, and Lot necessarily, but all the herdsmen and all the clan that has assembled to take care of all, these, uh, all this wealth and cattle and, and uh, uh, so forth, they're bickering among themselves. They're fighting. Isn't that interesting? All the blessings, all the blessings poured out, and yet here they are. The families can't get along. So what do they do? Abram, Abram looks and says basically, you know, Lot's wanting to divide, and he just... And Abram said, let's, let's do this peacefully. You decide which land you want. And you go there, and I'll go over here. And we can, you know, there's going to be communion still of some sort, but let's do this peacefully. You get to choose first. Abram, a lot does. He selects this land that is down in a rich, fertile valley. The best land, if you're just looking at the land. It also happens to be near the uh, river towns, as they call them, the, uh, that uh, Holy Crescent there, that uh, 
fertile crescent that they call it. Sodom and Gomorrah happens to be in that area. And in fact, Lot winds up settling near the town of Sodom. Now, this is important to me. You've got to remember, at this time, there is no law. This is all before Moses, right? So there is no law in the land. There's, there's basically one simple standard, and that is do, do the will of the Father. Do the will of holy God. And Abram tries to do that to the very best of his ability in all these big adventures. And now we come to this little... Where the Lord is talking to him, basically. But now we come to this little simple story about the land and how to be divided. And this is the reason why this little intermission is so important because this is where we live most of our days in the simple stories. It is very unusual for God to come down and speak to any of us to pick up and move to a land that He will show us as we're moving. It's very unusual for God to say, look up into the skies, your descendants. It's very unusual uh, for God to say, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go, we don't want to talk about it. It's very unusual to hear something like go to seminary or, or, or become a musician. From, or to, it's very unusual to hear big words. But there's, I think it's 2 Kings, the Lord God is in this small, quiet voice. And indeed, most of our lives are lived out in the middle of these intermissions. Not in the middle of the big things where we're hearing from God and we've got to make a decision whether we're going to be obedient or not. Do we trust the Lord God enough to take our son, our only son, up to the altar? Those are, that's a crisis of faith that we're going to have to make a decision. Do we trust God enough? But in our daily life, what do we, what do we do? What is, what is God doing in the middle of our intermission that just happens to take about 99% of our days? Rich, was singing, Rich Mullins was singing to this, and in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is speaking about this. And in Hebrews 13, God is speaking about this. You know, it's easy to look at the story and, you know, because we know it's going to go well for Abram. It's not going to go well for Lot. Is that because Lot made a bad choice? Is that because Lot was sinful? Again, there is no law at this time. There's no evidence that God spoke to them about which land you should take. Lot made a decision. God, uh, uh, Abram gave him a choice. And he said, I will take the good land then. Abram offered it. Lot took it problem then Abram winds up on the higher uh, land and higher plane he starts worshiping God and and it's going to all go good for Abram was God in that upper land but not in the lower land was God basically saying Moses I'll make sure that Abram uh, uh, that Lot chooses the bad good land so that you get the good, bad land, and it'll all go well for you? Was God manipulating things because God was going to be up on the heights but not in the lower? Huh. Remember, God was with Abram in Egypt. We know that. 
And God's going to be with Lot in the lower lands. He's going to be with Abram in the upper lands. God is going to be wherever we are. Our place is not nearly so important as our destination. And what was Lot's destination? No doubt he had good things intended, but he did something that's really risky. He made a decision to take what was best from the world, determining, determined that he could manage it for God, with God. We don't know this for sure, but we can give a, a, a lot the very best of, the, of, of his intentions here. And Lot was saying, I can manage this. Let's just assume that he said that. Worst case is he said, I don't care. So we're going to give Lot the benefit of the doubt here. I can manage this. Did he ever seek God's best? Abram, on the other hand, you could say he didn't seek anything. He just gave it up. But no, it's like giving it up is seeking God's best. The story here is Abram having all the rights, all of the, you know, from, uh, from an age, from God's inheritance, all these. Abram had all of the rights. But he didn't hold those to himself. Kind of like Christ, when he came here, he said, you know, his glory, he released that to come and be in our presence. Abram released all of the benefits uh, that he could have inherited by definition, and he just simply said, I'm okay. It doesn't matter a lot. What does matter is this relationship you choose. And Lot said, Okay. Again, I have no doubt that if it worked the other way around and Abram wound up in the lower valley, God would have been here and it would have all worked out well because it's not where God is here and it's not there. God is with us wherever we are. It's what is our destination? What is our purposes? One moment. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I've learned to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all my days. Nearer the end than I am to the beginning, I want to give you a little bit of information about Karen and I. We've got a whole story to tell, just like all of you do, and over time, maybe you'll get to hear our story, but I'm going to pick up after college. Uh, up until this time, I'd really not done anything with my Christian faith. I absolutely believed in God, and I had a very active prayer life, but I'd not done anything. And one day, driving down I-64 in Richmond, going to my, uh, to my work, I heard, I heard, I knew, I just knew, God was saying, I want you in church, I want you to come home. Seriously. Karen and I didn't do anything. We were busy trying to find God on mountaintops and stuff, you know? Then I want you to come home. I've never been there before, really, but actually there's a story about being a 12-year-old, and that's another story for another time, but I want you to come home. And I began a picture of us literally spending six years trying to find a church. And you would think I would just walk into the first church down the road, and that would be good enough. But every church I walked into, the Lord said, but not here. 
Don't ask me what, how I knew this. I didn't know Jesus from the Michelin men, okay? But, but it is true. I just knew I'm not supposed to be here, and I'm confused. It went on for six years. There was one church we did not go to. It was this church down the street. It was an Episcopal church, Good Shepherd Episcopal Church in Richmond. I wasn't going to go there because I didn't know much about Jesus, but I did follow the news, and I knew the Episcopal Church was a place that was ready to blow up. They had all these internal struggles going on, and I said, God, I'm not going to go there no matter what. But I was desperate, so I actually one day went to Good Shepherd Episcopal Church. From the moment I walked into that place, I felt God's presence. I watched something very important happen. I'm sitting there my very first day in a pew, and about two or three pews up in front of me, two men, who I now know to be Scott Hill and Ed Baptist, they see each other and greet each other like this, bear hugs. I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's not the way we greet each other in church. They look really sincere. Bear hugs. I watched that whole service, and I felt at home. I knew I was home. And the first thing I did as soon as that service was over with is I fled that building, and I said, I'm never going back again because I was scared. I was determined not to go back again. So I went to the Presbyterian church right across the street. I've been there a number of times, never quite making it work. And I actually went to the pastor, and I said something like this. I'm ready to join. We're ready to join your church. Can you just give us a call? We'd like to get together with you. He said, sure, okay. So he never called. I'm sitting there thinking now in panic, they don't want me there. <laughs> this is a church dying for people, but they don't want us. And, and so I wound up going back to the Episcopal Church, Good Shepherd, the next week, and we never left. God was in that place, and he changed my life, and he changed Karen's life. And this is the point I want to make. Here's how he changed our lives. He changed it not through the liturgy, not through the hymns, not through even the Scripture reading. All those were important. He changed it by the preaching of the people that we put us in relationship with. The community of believers that we were embedded in changed our lives. Here's what I can tell you. My first Bible study I ever went to as a, as, a, as, a pers- as an adult for sure had four other men. It was Chuck right here. He's a stockbroker. Here's Bill. He's another stockbroker. Here's Michael. He's an artist. And, and here's a Brian. He's a privately owned a bit, a data, a data type guy, a tech guy. And I sat there this Bible study. And we laughed. We had fun. And everything they did pointed to the fact that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior of their life. I was stunned. Everything in that church was about Jesus is real and he is with us day by day, step by step, moment by moment, in the hardships and in the brokenness. If we could laugh and we could embrace baseball, I love baseball. So we only have AAA in, or now AA in Richmond. But Jesus, you know what? He's in the baseball games, he's in, he's in the parties. He's, if you invite him, and these people testified to that. And we wound up learning something really important. And that is this. There's a way to live that's beyond the law. There's a way to live that simply says, I trust God with my life. It is more important that Jesus reign than I have the most valuable property. If he gives that to me, that's great. And if he doesn't, then I'll be satisfied with what he gives. 
There is something more important than what I want. And we learn to start releasing things. Slowly but surely. Not perfectly. Not always. But truthfully. And the only point I want to make is this. We did this because of the preaching of people who never preach except with their life. The story of Abram today is a very simple intermission. And it's real easy to read and skip right over it, except for one thing, guys. Abram is simply living now out of Egypt in the presence of God. And that's satisfactory. He's not looking up and see there's a Ten Commandment involved here. Jesus. Now, Jesus, this is predates Jesus, but we know Jesus is the Savior here still. Step by step, Lord, I will follow you all the days of my life. I conclude with this point, last point, and this is really how do we get here to uh, restoration? I was um, wrapped up in my other church in May, officially, and so we were looking for us. We thought we had another church we were going to go to. It would have been very easy. I could have practiced my golf game because there was nothing to do. I don't play golf, but I guess I could have taken it up, and that's good. But, and we were so close to joining that church, but there was something right at the end that nagged at me and said something like, David, why would you retire? This is, there's so much for you to do. Yeah, yeah. Let's take another week, to, a couple weeks to look around. So I investigated and I found out there's a couple of churches here in the, in the uh, uh, Stanton area. And I put in my GPS to go to one of the Anglican churches here, but not here. I had never heard of this place. But God brought me to this address. And I walked in and immediately felt the presence of God here. And I still do. And I listened to Jay preach. And his sermon was a very difficult sermon, Ephesians 6, about masters and slaves. But what he really preached about is the obligation of Christians to be Christ wherever we are. How do we live in this world? And everything inside of me said, this is where we're supposed to be. And we know that still. Why? Because of that sermon and because of God's presence. I want to tell you, God's presence is here. And that sermon and everything I know about Jay and everything that lives within me and Karen and I trust with all of you or what's going to grow is that we all have sermons to preach. How about how we live in Christ? And in this world today, and Jay's sermon was noting the point that we are very broken in this world, including the church, politics, and viruses, and the church is even fighting. Jay was saying, we have a message that has to overcome all of these things. And it's the message that Christ has died for us. It's a message about relationship and the body of Christ being one. 
While I was preparing this sermon, the Lord just gave me this word, and, and this is where I conclude. He just came to me as clear as could be. He said, David, uh, my church, it is ordained. I have determined that you, all my people, are my primary witness into the world. The world will know me as you show me. Jesus said, I must depart because you will do greater things. Friends, unless in the intermissions of our life, I mean, those 99.9% of the days, if, unless when it seems boring, we're just doing our own thing, unless we understand Christ is in all things, and he has a message that he wants to preach through our life, then we have wasted the greatest opportunity and the greatest responsibility there can ever be. Jay, I appreciate you letting me... Uh, I don't even have to use my prop. I, uh, they, gave me this, they gave me this hat as I retired. When I first started in ministry, they gave, I was at a very broken parish, and the very first gift they gave me, this is no kidding, I practiced law for years, and, and they gave me a little pillow. This is, this is how they saw me. Talk is cheap unless you're talking to a lawyer. And I'm thinking, now what has that got to, what are they trying to say to me here? But this is, this is what they gave me. Everybody else in my, we're getting trips to Israel or something. I got a pillow and a hat. But this hat says Reconciliation Anglican Church because when I was, we come up with that name, this was a church plant just a few years back. Reconciliation, the Lord just gave a word. The act of restoring relationships. Friends, we are ambassadors of reconciliation. Abram, all the way through to Jesus, now through to us, how we live is how, our, how we live is the message that we preach daily. Preach it well. It is the most important responsibility in the world. Hey, thank you. God bless you. Lord, uh, God, thank you uh, for the privilege of speaking, and I pray it would, uh, pray I did you honor. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.